Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. Sales are critical. Without sales, there's no business. And so it's easy to argue that one's sales force are amongst your most important employees. Any executive will tell you that it's hard enough hiring, motivating and retaining good salespeople in your home country. But when it comes to setting up an international operation, it's that much harder. Even with no language barrier, for example, going between the UK and the US, your best salesperson may struggle to succeed in another country. Even if you're successful in hiring a great salesperson in your new country, the sales methodology and support materials that work so well for you at home may not be right. So how do you get this critical element of your international expansion right? In this podcast, Zach Selch is talking with me. Zach is the VP of Global Sales for a high-tech medical company. He coaches and mentors global sales leaders. And over 30 years, he's sold in more than 135 countries, lived in six and has driven sales growth, adding hundreds of millions of dollars to the value of companies by building their international footprint. So Zach knows all about international sales. He's also an ex-paratrooper, a father of three boxes. He runs a soup kitchen when he's not on the road. And he's got quite a history. He was in Germany when the wall went down, Jordan when peace with Israel was signed, breakfasted with the Dalai Lama. He's been in the right place, surprising number of right times. Growing the international sales footprint is one of the very best ways to grow the value of a company. But when it's done poorly, it can also be the fastest way to sink a small company, or a middle one. In this podcast, Zach's discussing with me how to build revenue and the value of a company by getting the international sales process right. He believes that sales is an art and a science and isn't something to be acted on impulsively or emotionally. Listen in here to my conversation with Zach Selch. Zach, great to be talking with you. Um, and you class yourself as a sales mentor, right? Yeah. Um, I find what I like to do is help people sell. And uh, I know coach is a very common term. And if you talk to people about classical coaching, what they say is, well, I'm, I'm going to pull out from inside the person the knowledge he already has and just show him. And frankly, people don't know how to sell. So I thought about it. I thought, I don't want to be a sales coach because most of the people I deal with don't know how to sell. What I want to do is I want to mentor them. I want to help them and teach them and show them the way. And again, I don't want to, um, you know, they, they, there's that whole saying, uh, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach him to fish and he'll, fit, he'll eat forever. What I'm trying to do, I, I know there are people in my space who they will do work for you. And what I'd like to do is try and help people learn how to do it themselves and get them on their direction so that they can grow their own sales. And, and you know, because if a company has people who can grow sales, the whole company is going to grow. Okay, I agree. Um, 
you know, my personal experience of more hiring salespeople than anything else is that there are people who are born to sell and there are people who end up in the job position of being a salesperson <laughs> um, with willingly or unwillingly, sometimes because they think it's a great idea. Uh, right. Do you actually believe it's possible to coach or mentor people who are not really cut out for it? Or should we just start by biting the bullet and saying, you know, this person's never going to succeed? Well, that, that's an excellent question, Oliver. So I think you're right. I think there are people who are born to sell and there are people who have it in them. And then there are people who are less so. And, and, um, and then there are people in the middle. But companies very often choose the wrong people to sell. Right. And, and I'll, I think I always use, I, I have a term, I, I, I talk about a, a type six green widget. I say, you know, you have companies and they say, well, I sell a type six green widget. And if you don't understand a type six green widget, you'll never be able to sell it. So I'm going to pull somebody off my factory floor. Or I'm going to take an engineer who understands my product and I'll make him a salesperson. And the thing is, you can teach any product. You can't teach say it's it's i would much rather start off with a salesperson and teach them about a product than take somebody who understands product and try and teach them about sales that said most company a lot of companies their idea is well i'm going to take somebody who understands my product and i'm going to make him a sales manager and you have to be able to teach him to do a a, a pretty good job or they're going to fail the other part of that is you get people who are okay salespeople, but by working with, you can make them pretty good salespeople. They might not be stellar, but you can get better results out of them. Um, a friend of mine and I were doing a series of articles on LinkedIn a while back where we were discussing the idea of, could you take a mediocre salesperson and teach him to be a trusted advisor through specific steps? And I was saying... Well, you know, if you want to be able to scale up a company, you have to be able to take a mediocre salesperson and make him into a good salesperson. You have to have a system for that. Otherwise, you just can't scale up. You, 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 you can't trust that you're only going to hire stellar salespeople. So that's the way I look at it. Right. So our audience are interested in international business expansion and you've worked all over the world. Um, yep. and you can see the, the cultural differences and the different approaches to sales in different countries. And I mean, even just between our own two nations, you're in the US, I'm oh, yeah? in the UK, and you know, the, it doesn't always work. The approach from right. one doesn't work to the other. I've successfully sold in the US and failed in the UK, and I'm sure you can point to examples the other way around. But if we're looking at a business that's planning to expand internationally, they're going to need to sell in another country. What's the first prerequisite? Do they have to get their sales organization and methods in their own country right first? Or can they basically say, okay, it is what it is and look to get it right in a new country? Well, that, that's a great question. I, I think the fundamental problem is typically, you know, the key, the, there's the key figure here. There's the, the person in charge of international sales, whether it's the VP of sales or the head of international sales or the director of international or whatever. And the, the prerequisites for that job are selling. And I would say selling to multiple cultures. Okay. And that, that's, 
um, I think people get the prerequisites for that job wrong a lot of the time. Um, and I've seen, you know, I, I could tell you a dozen stories about people who hired somebody because they had, you know, the only person in the company who had fluent, uh, a second fluent language, they, they made her the vice president of international sales because she had been a waitress in Italy during college. And literally, true story, that kind of thing. You basically say, well, has somebody proven, do they have a proven track record that they've sold in multiple cultures? That's what I always look for, for that type of thing, because that's what you're looking for. Um, now, let's say that you sell directly, you know, very common thing. You sell in England, you sell $20 million, you have a direct sales force, four or five direct sales people, and now you're looking to expand. You might be saying, okay, my international expansion isn't going to be direct, it's going to be channel. So what I actually need is a totally different type of sales force, right? I'm not right. going to direct in, in interna internationally, but direct works really well for me in my domestic market. That's pretty common. But I think having that team and understanding what you need for your, from your team, you know, once you have the, the head, you need, you know, say the people who work under him. And again, I think people misunderstand what they need. Uh, very often, you're not going to find somebody you like, maybe, who is going to be a good salesperson in different cultures, right? You might find that the best person uh, to work in the Middle East isn't going to be the guy you want to invite to your company picnic, right? Or, or you know, the same thing for, for parts of Asia, sure. or Africa, right? And I find that something, you know, I'll take a look sometimes at a company and there'll be four guys who all look like they graduated from the same class of college who are the regional sales managers for different parts of the world. And I'll say, you know, you really expect this guy uh, who should be selling in New Jersey, you think he should be selling in Egypt, right? That isn't going to work. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of the mistakes companies make when they start their international expansion. You know, find the right, find the right people who, you, who are going to be able to drive your sales. That's sort of a cornerstone, I would say. And to what extent do you think that that's necessary to find somebody in the country you're going into? Because I've got plenty of experience of businesses from here and from the States which say we're going to just basically transfer our salesperson from, from our own country to there. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it works, you know. You know, sometimes it works to the extent that, for example, um, I have friends and I myself can go to the States and sell because uh, to a point, you know, the, right. the British accent is fun, you know, and yes. you can go to a point. And, you know, I've got friends who are Americans who come here and can sell. But the moment yeah. you actually get into Egypt, for example, as you say, it's it, it really not going to work, is it? Don't you have to sort of yeah. hire locally? I, I would say now... You don't necessarily, for instance, uh, that's, a, that's a great point. Like um, I've, I've been an expat for, for decades, literally, you know, so, so companies have put me in India, they've put me in Germany, um, mm -hmm. and I have a pretty good job. That said, um, I had a team working for me, so I had people who were local. Um, there is an element of building rapport. There is an element of cross-cultural uh, selling and cross-cultural uh, relationships that's very difficult to replace if you don't have local people. Mm -hmm. And what I find very often, okay, so there's, a lo there's local people. There's somebody like me who's American who lived 25 years outside of the country and 
who's sold in 130 countries or so. So that's one thing. There's another thing, which is very common, where you basically say, hey, you've been the regional manager for Ohio. You know our product. Your wife is Vietnamese. Let's make you the head of international sales because obviously you understand you know, international culture, right? Yes. But I, I, I joke about that, but I've seen that over and over again, right? You know, I've seen people where they say, well, your parents were immigrants. You can be the regional sales, the international no. sales manager. Your wife is foreign. You can be the re- international sales manager. It happens. But so let's say that guy, you know, moves to, to Ireland to run international sales. Um, again, that's probably going to be a disaster. And I've seen this a lot. And on the other hand, let's say you want to go into the Middle East. Do you need somebody from Tunisia and somebody from Saudi Arabia and somebody from, you know, Dubai? Probably not. Maybe one guy based in Egypt or based in Dubai who's Lebanese can handle this whole Middle East. Do you Mm -hmm. need somebody from, you know, do you need somebody from Hong Kong and somebody from Vietnam and somebody from Japan? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe one guy can cover Asia who is essentially, you know, from Asia, from an Asian culture. Uh, So yeah, there is a balance there. But I would say that if you want to expand internationally, what you do, what you probably are going to need are four or five regional managers based in the territories, running the territories, and they should be local people, right? I, I, I typically say a regional manager shouldn't be from the, from the manufacturing country. He should be right. from the market. The head of international sales could be from the manufacturing country, but should have a, a good cultural background. That, that's the way I would look at it. Okay, so now, you know, you've got a business and you want to expand into an international territory, which is mm-hmm. a potentially really valuable one. And right. you're starting from square one. How do you go about hiring uh, the right sales manager for that, given that sales is key? Nobody eats right. without sales, right? Right. Well, do you mind, Oliver, if I take a step backwards and we talk about how you choose the market? Absolutely. But sort of skipped over that. And I would also say this is where countries, companies very often fail. And, and you're going to laugh when I say this because you've heard this a dozen times. Um, I always say I talk to somebody and they say, well, the first markets I go, I'm going into are France, Italy, and Japan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I say you're going to fail because there's no product that the, the best markets for them happen to be France, Italy, and Japan. And I bet your wife said, let's take a vacation. And you decided to go into those markets, right? And sure. People pick, people pick markets for crazy reasons. Exactly, exactly. that. And there are exactly. other episodes on this podcast series where you'll catch me saying the same thing or something very similar. Exactly. So I always say, you know, first of all, you have to figure out where you're going into and you should be doing it rationally. And again, I even say very often you can't trust people because there are a lot of, of consultants out there who they're going to make their If you go into Japan, they're going to charge you an hourly fee to translate software into Japanese, right? So obviously, mm-hmm. they're advised that Japan is the best possible market for you, right? So finding the right market is probably the first step. So the, uh, the first couple of markets to go into. Um, finding the right sales manager. Um, I've done a really good job looking on LinkedIn. Typically, what I'm doing is I put together a, um, a, a, a job description that involves 
what I'm looking for in terms of that, what that person should be doing. And typically, the activities that that person should be doing are managing distributors, right? If you're looking at a company in my company that's, say, under $500 million or so in sales, you're probably going to be doing distributors internationally. And, and, and I'm sure there's room to argue about that, but that's been my, uh, mm-hmm. my best way of looking at it. So what you're looking for is somebody um, from more or less your field. So I typically work in healthcare. I don't need somebody who sells my particular widget. I need somebody who has been dealing with distributors in healthcare in this market and I got, you know, I got 300 resumes the last time I, I, uh, I looked for a, an RM. I pulled out 25 of them. I interviewed on the phone 25 people. I interviewed face-to-face five or six. I got some great guys, right? Um, so that's sort of the way I would go about looking for it. But first of all, it's defining what you need. And in my opinion, what you need is somebody who has experience managing distributors in your basic industry in that territory. Mm-hmm. Do you think the businesses invest enough time and effort <laughs> in actually looking for the right people? No, I, I would say businesses, and, and here's the thing, and I'm sure you've heard this before, right? This is the best way to build up the value of your company. And it's also maybe the most dangerous thing you're ever going to do with your company trying to expand internationally, because it's easy to bankrupt the company and trying to grow internationally, right? Sure. And people don't put enough time and energy into it. Um, I Again, I couldn't tell you how many times I've gone into a company and they've said, well, this is, you know, this is our regional manager. And I say, great, how did you find him? Well, you know, he was my interpreter when I went into the country for a trade show a couple of, his, his English was fantastic. His, his Portuguese was fantastic. And he, you know, so I made him my, my international sales manager, you know, that kind of thing. It happens all the time because people don't know how to go looking for the right people and they, they compromise. And then five years later, they say, wow, you know, the international market just isn't ready for our product. Our product is too sophisticated for the international market. We can't, we can't expand internationally. And they don't accept the fact that they didn't put enough intent or effort or money into what they were doing. And so what do, how, how should they go about it? Hire you, I guess, but. Uh. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> he, here's the thing. I think, you know, um, there are people like me out there who know what they're doing and I'd say the biggest problem really comes back to what I was saying about product in the beginning is people say, well, you have to understand our product. And if you don't understand our product, there's no real sense working with you. But understanding how to expand internationally is much more difficult. It's much rarer and it's much more difficult to understand. Um, so, So how would you go about doing this? I would say find somebody who can guide you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you if you do want to do it yourself, if you do want to um, hire somebody who knows your product, or or you want to um, promote somebody from within to be your head of international sales who doesn't really know international sales but knows your product, get somebody to guide you. Somebody, you know, like you said, somebody like me who could you know get on the phone with you once a week and tell you where you might be making mistakes or give you a little bit of guidance or that kind of thing. Um, in the end of the day, it's a, a tiny drop of cost in terms of how much you're going to save uh, over the, the big picture. Because 
hiring, even hiring one bad distributor can be a very, very expensive mistake. And hiring 25 bad distributors, you know, can sink a company. So, And that brings up another variation on topic, because we've been talking about hiring salespeople and sales Right. Um, but hiring distributors and agents is another issue altogether, really. Oh, yeah. Related, right. but... Um, right. And, they are not only looking for people who can sell, they are looking for right. people who are going to actually want to sell your product and be loyal to you and exactly. put you as a priority, right? Exactly. And that, I would say, again, if you are a you know small to medium-sized manufacturer, your whole life is tied up with the mind share of your distributors. If your distributors don't want to sell your product, you're not going to succeed. And a lot of it comes to finding the right distributors. A lot of it comes to, are you making the right pitch? You know, I always mm. say, um, when you pitch to a distributor, uh, and, and I, I, I like to joke about it like, like dating. Imagine you go out on a first date and you start talking to the woman about what your chums like about you. And you say, oh yeah, you know, my, I'm, I can sure drink a lot of beer right? Um, typically, that isn't going to get you anywhere with, with, with a female, right? Probably, probably not. But, and it's the same thing with distributors. You go out to talk to distributors and you say, well, my product is made out of the finest quality steel and oscillates 2,000 times a minute. And the distributors don't care. They care about three things. They care about, is it easy to sell? Is it going to be profitable? And can I trust you? And that trust is huge. And your pitch should be built around, this is why I know there's a market. It's going to be easy to sell. This is how profitable it's going to be. And let me explain why you can trust me not to screw you over. And mm. people typically don't do those type of pitches. So you talk to a few distributors and they're not terribly interested because they're worried that they can't trust you. They're not sure they understand how to sell your product. It's not what they're doing today. They're making good money. Or they sign up with you, absolutely no intention of selling your product, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have shut out of that market until the contract runs out. Right. I was talking to a woman, I was at a big trade show last week, and I was talking to a woman who, who works for one of the U.S. states as a trade specialist. And I was talking about finding distributors. And she said, well, there really are no tricks to finding distributors. All you can do is get a booth at a trade show and wait and wait for them to show up. And she's been doing this for about 10 years. And my, my mind, my head just about exploded. Um, I've onboarded anywhere between 750 to 1,000 distributors over the past 30 years. And I've probably less than 50 of them walked into my booth randomly. I'd li I like to look for distributors, right? I, li I like to, to identify the profile of who I'm looking for and find them and pitch to them and get them on board, right? Not just find some random walks into my booth. Um, sure. you know, that's not how you succeed. No, I go along with that completely, I mean, especially if you're waiting on an exhibition uh, or you're trying to sit in the booth. Basically, the successful distributor is out there selling somebody else's product right now rather exactly. than having the time to come to the exhibition. That, that's exactly it. So, you know, um, it's making a pitch. It's, it's, you know, looking at three or four distributors. I like to say that the distributor is sort of like a triangle. I'm looking for a combination of competency, bandwidth, and focus. Mm -hmm. If they don't have enough of each of those, the triangle is going to collapse, right? So you're, right. you're, you're sort of looking for, for all of that. 
Um, and then when you talk with them, you can negotiate with them. This is, um, you know, this is what we're looking for in terms of, you know, uh, enough uh, bandwidth. Can you cover this market correctly? Will you give me, you know, 12 hours a week of sales hours? Will you do, you know, do these activities, right? Um, and I like to put this into my agreements. So basically, I'm saying to people, okay, if you do want to work with me, uh, within 30 days, I want to know the name of the person who's supposed to be my my contact. I want him to be trained within 60 days. Within 90 days, I want to see start seeing reports from from uh, calls to, to end users, that kind of thing. And you can document it, and that way, if things don't work out, you you're not waiting a year to uh, to cut bait. Um, I was talking to somebody recently, and he said, "Yeah, I you know I, I signed a distributor. I'm getting a million dollars out of this market this year." And I said, cool, he gave you a purchase order. He goes, well, in my, you know, my distribution agreement, he's going to buy a million dollars this year. So I said, <laughs> what's the remedy? He said, well, what do you mean what's the remedy? I said, what if he doesn't buy it? He goes, but it's in the agreement. He's going to buy it. So I said, let's say he doesn't buy it. What happens? So he goes, well, but it's in the agreement. I said, let, let me take a look at your agreement. I looked through it. I go, here's the thing. He has a year of exclusivity in the market to give you a purchase order. If in 365 days he doesn't give you a purchase order, you can terminate him. That's your remedy. I said, mm. so you're shut out of this market for a year and there's nothing you can do about it until the end of the year. And then hopefully he's going to give you a purchase order. If he doesn't, you're going to terminate him, which means in 13 months, you're going to be looking for another distributor. Right. If you had said to him, within 90 days, I want to see five call reports saying that you're, you've gone out and visited customers, you, would, you, know, you could have terminated him in 90 days if nothing was happening, right? right. So the way I look at it. Sure. All very valid points. Listen, Zach, we're going to run out of time before too long. I know to switch away from the subject or maybe only just divert very slightly. I was reading your, your bio. Where does having breakfast with the Dalai Lama come into it? What on earth are you <laughs> trying to sell him? You know what? This is actually a funny, a funny bit. I, I uh, go through, I like to stay in the same hotels when I travel whenever I can. I was in India. I get in um, about one in the morning. I have a three o'clock meeting the following day. I ask for a noon wake up call and mm -hmm. I get a call at nine in the morning. And I'm like, I was actually very grumpy. I'm like, look, I, I just got in. I, I wanted to sleep. Why are you waking me up? And they said, we thought you'd like to have breakfast now. I said, well, if I wanted to have breakfast now, I asked <laughs> for a wake up call for 9 a.m., but I couldn't fall back asleep. So I go down to the lounge and there in the lounge is the Dalai Lama. And it's just me and him and his you know, bodyguards. And so we have breakfast, which was, which was actually like one of the, probably the highlight of my year last year. It was pretty cool. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well, I've met a few, I've met a few ministers and a member of the Royal family in my favorite hotel ah. in India, but not at the Dalai Lama. What is your favorite hotel? In well, it, this was um, the Marriott, the, uh, the Marriott uh, airport in okay. Delhi. It's yeah. a relatively new hotel. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Times, yeah. My favorite's the uh, Trident in Bombay, but. Um, yeah, I, I used to stay at the Taj Mahal in, in Bombay for years hmm. before, the, before the attacks. I was, uh, there. I was actually there for the attack and got uh, locked in my 30th floor really? for oh 48 my God. hours. Yeah. Oh, my God. One of my, one of my few claims to fame is I made the front page of uh, 
the New York Times and I was on CNN and things like that because I was the first person out of the hotel with a white wow. face to be returned to Indian uh, to Indian friends, my business wow. partners. So, wow. So there you that go. That must so, have been interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's like sort of being a five-star hostage. It's a bit, bit weird. Yeah. But, uh, there you go. But I'm sure you've had... You know, stranger things in your life, and tell me, tell us quickly about um, being a paratrooper as well. You don't oh, so look right now like a paratrooper. <laughs> well, it was well, a my vision anyway. It was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I um, I went into the army uh, at eighteen, and I, you know, I wasn't uh, ready for college at that point, and uh, I spent a few years in, in paratroopers, and. You know, being being a soldier gives you a lot of um, a lot of discipline, and a, you know, I I, I I say this all the time. Yeah. You know, there's nothing nothing that comes at me anymore that's any harder than what I was doing when I was 19, right? So, having led men into combat at 19, having you know done a lot of very very physically difficult things and very uh, daunting things at a young age. Uh, you develop a lot of confidence, you develop a lot of discipline, you develop a lot of systems. Very helpful for me. Yeah. I've heard that before from others that don't have similar experience, but I've certainly had other people tell me the same thing and I can see that that's the case. Anyway, so now you're the sales guru. Um, it's been great talking to you about it. Well, thanks a lot, Oliver. It's been great being on. You're and writing a book? I am, I'm writing a book. I hope to have it out in, uh, in the American uh, uh, spring, something like March. Mm-hmm. Basically, I, I wrote it. Now it's in the editing stages. And it's a book on being an international sales manager. So it's sort of like a guidebook to all the different practicalities of how you would run an inter- how you would build up and run an international sales organization. Great. And you've written some, uh, I guess there may be chapters to the book, but you sent me a couple of articles which I read, which were very good. Um, with Thank your you. permission, we'll publish one of them on the Grow oh. International website. Great. Thank you very much. So, um, listeners, if you want to get in touch with Zach or want more information, you can find the page on the uh, page that goes with this podcast on growinternational.org. Um, you can also find his article under the tab marked articles and if you haven't yet downloaded and installed our new Grow International app, you'll find it on the App Store if you're on Apple iOS and on the Play Store. Nothing like playing if you're on Google Android. Um, just launched, and uh, so and you'll find this podcast and all the articles and many other podcasts, and it builds up every week into an invaluable resource you can't do without. Zach, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you very much for having me, Oliver. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles, and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos, and podcasts, and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion 
may be easier than you may think.